The parasha this week speaks about the halachas of a nazir, and in a fascinating hadran on the Maseches nazir, the Rebbe speaks about how is it possible that Shimshon and Shmuel Hanabi could ever have been Nazirim if they didn't volunteer for the position. He's going to teach us an amazing principle about how a subsequent action could completely redefine an original action. In our parasha, we have the halachas of the Nazir, which include Isura Bishtiasyain, that he can't drink water, that a blade may not touch his hair, and that through the entire period of being a Nazir, he may not be contaminated by a dead body. That's on the negative side. And then, likewise, Giluach Roishoi, how he has to shave his head at the end of the period of Nazirus, and the carbonus that he brings should he become contaminated. When you analyze what the parasha says, all these halachas would apply whether the person is a nazir for a specific amount of time, minimum 30 days, and the same halachas would apply to an individual who is a nazir for his entire lifespan, and that's what's going to get us into the conversation about these famous nazirim, Shimshon and Shmuel Hanavi. So, what is then the difference between somebody who's a Nazir for a short period or for forever? It's Rak Bekachshin, Nazir is man Kotsuv, Osul Galechat Sofi So, if a person is a Nazir for a period of time, then he's not allowed to touch his hair at all, no, cut a single hair for the entire period of his commitment. Whereas a Nazir Oilam, a person who is a lifetime Nazir, is allowed to cut his hair, and bring the appropriate sacrifices that are associated with cutting his hair, any time that his hair becomes too too much to handle, which is typically once a year. Okay, so those are the two types. Short-term Nazir, lifetime Nazir, and then, there's another class of Nazir that the Torah does not speak about. But you'll speak about it in Novi, in Nach, and one of those examples in our Haftar, and that is Nazir Shimshon. Somebody who's a class of Nazir, like the kind of Nazir that Shimshon was. What kind of a Nazir was he? So the, the Tanakh tells us about Shimshon, that the Malach told his mother before he was born, you're never allowed to put Moira on his head, simply a blade. Because he should be dedicated to Hashem as a Nazir from the womb. So now this is technically difficult, different because yes, on the one hand, Shimshon was a lifetime Nazir, but he didn't have all of the halachas that apply to a regular Nazir. For example, well, most importantly, he was entitled to become impure by dead bodies, and we know that he was very much involved in killing people. So obviously, Tuma wasn't an issue. It's what happened. Come on, and as we go a little bit further into the Sikha, we'll also bring up one or two other areas where the type of Nazir, that is the Shimshon class of Nazir, is different to every other Nazir. This has a practical application. Let's say that a person says that they want to be a Nazir like Shimshon was a Nazir. And the Rambam says this is the practical halacha. Such a person would not ever allowed to be allowed to have great products, and he wouldn't be allowed to cut his hair. He would be entitled to be contaminated by the tumor of a dead body, which is fascinating, right? Okay, so now we know that there's three classes. Short-term Nazir, lifetime Nazir, and Shimshon-type Nazir, which leads us to the Mishnah right at the end of Maseches Nazir, which tells us this. We learn at the end of Nazir. Nazir Hoya Shmuel. That Shmuel Hanavi was also a Nazir. As Rabbi Nehoi explains, because have a look what it says in the Tanakh about Shmuel Hanavi. It says, That there'd be no blade on his head. So that word is used with regards to Shimshon. And it's used with Shmuel. So you make what looks like a Gzeir Shava. The same word implies the same status. Just like Shimshon was a Nazir and therefore no blade should touch his hair. Likewise, Shmuel. That's according to Rabbi Nehoi Ra'i. Omer Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, V'haloi ein Moira ela shel bosor v'dom. Rabbi Yossi says Moira is spelled here with a hey, but it's similar to Moira with an aleph, is fear of some kind of a human being. 
Maybe that's what it means. They should have no fear. Says to him, but you see that Shmuel had fear of people or a certain person. Shmuel says to the Abishta, when Abishta says, Go anoint David, that's the next king, he says, How can I go? Shaul is going to kill me. Implying that you can't say that the fearlessness, which you, Rabbi Yossi, want to say is the attribute of Shmuel, uh, of Shimshon, you can't say that that was present with, with, the, with Shmuel and Navi. So therefore, Moira has to mean a blade, just like Shimshon was a Nazir, so was Shmuel and Navi. Okay, but Sarah we have to ask a question over here. What was the method that, that Rabbi Noiroi used to work out that Shmuel is a, a Nazir? He used a Gzair Shava. Moira, Moira. So the Gzair Tzarech Loimar came in Shein Gzair Shava Lemechza. Now we do know that if you use a Gzair Shava, you don't use it just for the relevant details that you'd like to talk about. The Gzair Shava means these two scenarios are the same. So therefore, that would imply It must mean then that if Rabbi Nohiroi believes that Shmuel's Nazirus is learned from Shimshon's Nazirus, then that would imply that Shmuel is the same kind of Nazir as Shimshon. Remember, there's three categories of Nazir short term, lifetime, and Nazir Shimshon. So Rabbi Nohiroi must be implying that Shmuel Anavir is in that unique category of Nazir Shimshon who's allowed to be impure. Now, is that the halacha? Of the Rambam Posak, the Rambam says, Shmuel Aramosi Nazir Oilam Hoyo. The Rambam says that Shmuel fell into the second category, which is a lifetime Nazir, implying Hainashoi called in a Nazir Solov. That implies that he is beholden to all the laws of Nazirus, including the fact that he can't become impure. Become Nazir Oilam Osilitamlamason. And part of his laws are that if his hair becomes too unruly, he's allowed to cut it and then bring the various um, carbonos. And he can even approach a Talmud Chacham or a panel to, to, to neutralize, to, to uh, forgive him you know, from, his, from his vow. And he doesn't have to be a, a Nazar any longer. Now, if you're saying that Shmuel is like not, uh, Shimshon, he's not, because Shimshon was allowed to be contaminated by a dead body. And he's not allowed to cut his hair, ever. He has no way out of it. So it doesn't seem to make sense. Rabbi Noi Roy implies that Shmuel is like Shimshon. The Rambam says Shmuel is not like Shimshon. Beyond that, the Yoshami looks at the Pasuk about Nazirus, which says, Kain yas al that the, the, it tells us the laws that a person is supposed to do when he is a Nazir. So he says, Toiras Nidroi, there's a certain set of laws that govern a Nazir. Says the That Shimshon's type of Nazirus is not part of that set of laws. Likewise, the Rambam says clearly, Shimshon's not a regular Nazir. So now it doesn't seem to make sense. So Rabbi Noiroi says clearly, how do we know Shmuel is a Nazir? We learn it from Shimshon. But we're seeing clearly that Shmuel is not the same kind of Nazir as Shimshon. So how do you learn it from Shimshon? It doesn't make sense. You learn it from Shimshon and say, but he's not like him. So unfortunately, one attempt at answering it is to say, It's not a true Gezer Shava, because a Gezer Shava, you have to import all of the details of the one scenario to the other. It's not. It's just the Torah clarifying for us something we need to know about Shmuel, namely, it's clarifying the meaning of the word Moira, that it doesn't mean fear like Rabbi Yossi wanted to suggest. Rather, it means a blade like Rabbi Noiroi insists. Right? We're not going with Rabbi Yossi's explanation. And from there, we'll understand that Shmuel Hanovi's mother, Chana, wanted him to be dedicated as a Nazir. Okay? So that's the easiest way out. It's not a Gezer Shava, so therefore you don't have to worry about the fact that you're comparing Shmuel Hanovi to Shimshon, but they're really not exactly the same. Okay? They don't have to be exactly the same. It's not a pure Gezer Shava. You just want to say they both have an Indian of Nazirus. That's how Mephorshim wanted to explain it. The Rebbe brings a simple reason why this doesn't really fly. Because Abba Milosh and Amishnah, look at the language the Mishnah used. Nem Arba Shimshon Umoira. Venem Abishmul Umoira. 
What's the comparison? The word Moira. Ma just like the word Moira, when it's used with regards to Shimshon, it's to tell us that he is a Nazir. Likewise, Moira Nazir. It's telling us, likewise, Shmuel is also a Nazir based on the word Moira. In other words, this is the language you expect of a Gezereshava. Ma af. Just like there, so to here. Please don't try and tell us it's not a Gezer Shava. That is classic Gezer Shava. And more than that. If what the Torah, if what Rabbi Noiroi, Rabbi Noiroi wanted to say is, Moira is just to tell us that it means blade, not fear, then he should have said, just like the word Moira by Shimshon is blade tar, so to the word Moira by Shmuel is blade tar. He doesn't say that. He says, Nazir. So that's clearly showing you that Rabbi Noiroi is not just trying to explain the translation of the word Moira. He's illustrating to us that the entire reality of Shmuel Hanavi's type of Nazirus is directly related to, learned from, and therefore comparable to the Nazirus of Shimshon. And we have to understand how that is possible because the Rambam clearly says that's not the case. Now, before we can answer this question, we're going to go to what appears to be a completely different subject that is recorded in the Gemara on this Mishnah. And although it will seem to be completely unrelated, it's actually going to help us to put it all together. The Gemara commenting on this Mishnah includes the following. Quickly go and bench. Quickly go, you be the one to bench, implying that one person would bench and everybody else would answer Amen. Does that imply that the person who says the bracha is better than the person who only answers Amen to the bracha? Didn't Rabbi Yoisi, same characters, Rabbi Yoisi arguing with Rabbi Nehoi Didn't Rabbi Yoisi say, that the person who answers Amen is greater than superior to the person who said the bracha? That's according to Rabbi Yoisi. So why are you telling your son Dafka to quickly say the bracha? Let him rather be the one to say Amen. Once we're in the debate, Rabbi Nehoiroi says to Rabbi Yoisi, Hashomayim, I swear, kachul, that this is absolutely true, that the person saying Amen is greater than the person saying the bracha. Teda, how do we know? Sharei gulyarim is going Because look at the method of a war. First you send the people who are like the assistants to the soldiers, and they get the war started, and then the, the real heroes come along and they win the war. And the Gemara responds to that by answering, answering Tanoi. Here it's a debate between the Tanoim. There's argument for both sides. There's an argument to say that the person saying the bracha is superior. There's an argument to say that the person saying Amen is superior. But the idea is you should rush to have the opportunity to say a bracha. Now, we're not going to get into the analysis really of that last part, but rather, we need to understand why is this relevant over here in a conversation about Nazar? Stick this in Masechah Brochus, where actually the conversation is brought as well. What's the flow? From talking about whether Shimshon is a, 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 the same kind of Nazar Shmuel or not, and now you get to this. Right? This, this belongs in Brochus. So some of the commentaries point out, Rabbi Noiroi is not quoted that frequently in the Gemara. If we're talking about Rabbi Noiroi, let's bring another scenario where Rabbi Noiroi has an opinion. This will then link to the fact that we quoted Rabbi Noiroi early in the Mishnah. Because Rabbi Noiroi is very infrequently quoted in the Gemara. And especially because it's here Rabbi Noiroi is speaking in a conversation with Rabbi Yossi, which is similar to our Mishnah. So we just link it up because it's easy to remember this way. That can't be the full answer. And we come at time for three primary reasons. 
Number one, Aleph. The Gemara didn't get into the conversation by quoting Rabbi Yossi. That's the logic, right? You've just said Rabbi Nohiroi and Rabbi Yossi debating about Shimshon. So now let's have another conversation between Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Nohiroi. You don't do that. You start off with a story of other people. And it would have made more sense. First, quote Rabbi Yossi was a Tana and then tell the stories of the Amiroim, who obviously come later both historically and in terms of relevance. Instead, the, the Gemara started off with a, with a story. Question number two: According to the logical order of the Gemara, you're trying to bring me another statement that includes Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Noiroi. So, how do you start with an opinion that holds the opposite? Why would you do that? And Gimel thirty bechal b'mishnah cholkim Rabbi Noi Rabbi Yosi, the Mishnah we're quoting about Nazirus is a debate between Rabbi Noi and Rabbi Yosi. Whereas the Gemara is quoting a story where they agree. So ma kesher. And then that's right at the end of Maseches Nazir. So the next thing that follows immediately afterwards also raises questions for us because the Yes Al Kena Nimuvan Sima Gemara really doesn't make sense why the Gemara of Maseches Nazir concludes with the very famous Amr Abdozim Rabbi Chanina Tamid Chacham Mabim Shonim Boilam that Torah scholars increase peace in the world. Shenemra the pasuk says V'Chobanayich Lemudah Hashem Rav Shleim Bonoich that all of your sons learn about Hashem and the peace of your sons is great. Where does that come in over here? It doesn't seem to be linked either to the Mishnah with Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Noiroi, nor does it seem to be linked to the Gemara over here. And as sometimes is the case, the Gemara wants to end a whole section, in this case, with something which is positive, as we see in other places. So therefore brings a statement about Sholem. But still, there would always have to be some kind of a link. There are many positive ways to end a, a conversation. Find something that's linked. And the truth is, you've just spoken about saying a bracha and saying amen. That is already positive. It's not like you ended on a sour note and now you've got to mitigate it with something which is positive. You just spoke about something positive. So why do we need this over here? And while we're at it, there are a few nuances about how the Gemara words this particular statement, which, or, or these statements, which warrant our attention. Two main areas. Aleph. Rabbi Yoisi. Rabbi Yoisi says that the person saying Amen is greater than the person saying a bracha. So what does Rabbi Noiroi add to that bit by saying, Hashomayim? Which is bishvur, it's a way of saying an oath. Kachu, this is true. <laughs> Why does he have to endorse Rabbi Yossi with such dramatic terminology? And not only that, Uvaraya, and he still brings a proof. He has to bring this whole concept about how the forward guard goes into the war, but they're not really the really powerful guys. And then afterwards come the heroes, like the Amen Sayer, and he's the. Why is this all relevant over here? It's a simple principle. The person saying Amen is greater than the person saying the Brocha. And with regards to the other conversation about there are many places in Shas, quite a number of places in Shas, where we bring this quotation and it's often at the end of the about how increased peace in the world. Usually, as we know from our davening, we conclude it by saying, don't just simply only read it as your sons, but read it also as those who construct the world, obviously through their Torah learning. Whereas over here, that part is left out at the end of Nazir. Why? Now, to get to the bottom of all of this, is it possible to compare the Nazirus of Shmuel and Novi to the Nazirus of Shimshon? And what is this issue about the person saying Amen being greater than the person who said the Brocha? And why do we have to bring in the issue of Marbim Shalom Boilam? To get to the bottom of all of that, we have to ask a technical question. It's a question that Radak asks in Nach. How could Shmuel have become a Nazir? Halachically, it should not be possible. Because the easiest but wrong answer would be, well, because Chana, his mother, made her an oath on his behalf. She said, if I'm given a child, I will dedicate him to Hashem for his whole life. And we'll never cut his hair. 
that can't be the answer. We come at time for a few reasons. Aleph number one. Shmuel wasn't yet born. Not only wasn't even yet conceived. You can't make a nader that impacts somebody who wasn't even, forget about alive, wasn't even being developed in the womb at the time of the oath. The vow. So it can't be that. Let's even say Shmuel had already been born when she made this pledge. Chana, by making an oath, by taking a vow, would not have the power to turn Shmuel into a Nazir. Because it's a very clear halacha. I'm sure we recently learned it in Soita. That it's a local emotion we see now that a man can commit his son to become a Nazar and a mother cannot commit her son to become a Nazar. So, how could Hannah's nader have made Shmuel into a Nazar? How does he become a Nazar? If you're going to argue, and this would be a stretch, that her husband, Elkana, also made the same vow that his son would be a Nazar. And he made that vow after Shmuel was born. Well, then you've got a very strong question. Why would the Torah only tell us about Chana's neder, which had no practical application for Shmuel and could not have turned him into a Nazir? And you're going to suggest to me that the Tanakh would have omitted Elkanah if he did make a neder, would have admitted that part of the story, even though it would be absolutely central to the story? So how does Shmuel become a Nazir? Another argument that you might want to offer which doesn't work is, so you'll say, after Chana made her nader that her son's going to be a Nazir, then Elkana heard the nader at some later point and he ratified it, he endorsed it. Well, first of all, we'd be back to square one because you can only ratify the nader when you hear it and Shmuel wasn't yet in existence. And even if Shmuel had been alive, it still would not make sense. When a man, or any other person for that matter, endorses, ratifies somebody else's vow, all it does is ensures that they have to keep their vow. But by ratifying somebody's vow, you can't make it something more than their own vow. That now the son should become a Nazir. If a person says that they swear that they're never going to eat a certain food and somebody says, okay, I'm a Kayam, I endorse that, okay, they can't eat that food. But what are you going to say? If a person says they're not going to eat a certain food, somebody's going to come along, the husband's going to come along to the wife and say, you know what? Now that you said that our children are also not going to eat that food, it's unrelated. It was never part of the original vow. Because it could never have been part of the original vow because a mother does not have the jurisdiction to make her son a Nazir. So how did Shmuel become a Nazir? Truth is, the same question applies to Shimshon. The Rambam says, Shimshon was not a complete Nazir, a classical Nazir. So the implication is that there's some kind of the holiness or the unique set of laws of Nazir that did apply to Shimshon. He wasn't just an individual who volunteered on a program that does that includes not drinking wine and not cutting your hair. He just isn't, he's not a complete Nazir, the Rambam says. It's not like he's zero Nazir. So how did that happen? Seeing as Shimshon never made a vow to become a Nazir. Before he was born, the Malach instituted certain instructions for his life that would keep him away from certain practices. If you want to tell me the Malach said those items are off limits to Shimshon, that could certainly work. But seeing as the Rambam implies that he was a Nazir, meaning something changed about his being, he wasn't a full Nazar, granted, but he's a Nazar to an extent. How could the Malach have changed him? The Nazar are called upon him, Shein Gomer, to become a Nazar, even if it's not a complete Nazar. Malach, Sheliach, Yochalim, Setzivah, Mitzvah, Yudesanaga. 
A shidiach of any kind, including a malach, can always give an instruction, you may or may not do this or that. Or tell you things that are going to happen in the future. Where do we ever have precedent in the Torah that a malach has the capacity to designate somebody for a certain particular role? Life-changing role. In this case, to turn a human being into a Nazir. Where? Where? How's it possible? And you can't argue that that's the Rambam I'll call upon him from the Rambam's perspective, if nothing else. That maybe his father made the vow on his behalf. Because the Rambam dealt with that. And he said clearly, There was no vow to be a Nazir. The Malach designated him to be removed from certain practices, certain impurities. How does it become a Nazir? Beyond that. Look at how the story is told in the Tanakh. First, the Malach instructs Shimshon's mother how she should behave, which was that she shouldn't drink any kind of beverage that has a great base and she shouldn't eat anything which is impure. Then, then he gave instructions about the child. He should not touch his cut his hair. Because he'll be separated for Hashem from birth. Whereas afterwards, now Shimshon's father Manoach asks the Malach, What are the details and actions that this child should follow? The Malach refers back to the wife. Whatever I told her, that's what you've got to do. Not one word about Shimshon himself. What you as parents have to do about Shimshon. furthermore, if we would try to argue that either Shimshon or Shmuel or both of them were Nazirim because Shaish Madir as Bnoi ben Nazir, because a father can make that vow of Nazirus on his son's behalf, then why would the Gemara say that the concept of a father making the vow of Nazirus on behalf of his child is which means that it has no uh, basis uh, in, in Psukim or it has no basis in logic, so to speak. Look at how the Rambam says it's not even alluded to in, in, in any verse. Now, if that was the story, the Rambam would never say it's not alluded to in the story. So how did Shimshon or how did Shmuel become a Nazir? They don't seem to fit any of the qualifications. They didn't take the oath themselves. No evidence of that. The father didn't do it on their behalf. There's no evidence of that. So what's it? Chana or the Malach, neither of whom is qualified to make somebody a Nazir? Bahabir Bazed explanation is phenomenal. You can't say, for that matter, that Shimshon or Shmuel were the ones who preempted or the ones who initiated their own Nazirus. The obvious reason is, firstly, because if there is not even a hint in any verse in the Torah that they may have made an oath of Nazirus. And Beis Harambam the Rambam says very clearly, at least about Shimshon, he never took the oath of being a Nazir. Le'idachir, on the other hand, Milashayna Mishnah, look at how our Mishnah addressed this. It says, no blade should touch his head. tells us, with Shimshon it uses the word It says the same word, Shmuel. Just like the one tells us he's a Nazir, the other tells us he's a Nazir. And guess what? Those psukim that Rabbi Nohiroi quotes are either from the instruction of the Malach to Shimshon's mother or from Chana's undertaking on behalf of her son. Mashma then implies... That somehow then Azirus did stem from either the Malach's instruction or from Chana's undertaking. Now, how is that possible? 
אבל מאחר שהציווי והנדל לבדום אין בכוחם לפעול את הנזירוס כנל, סינגס ההלוכה is clear that neither a מלאך nor a mother can make a person into a nozer, בהכרח לא ימה שהם היו מאין סיבו לא זה כדלקמון. We have to conclude that the contribution of the מלאך or of חנה to the נזירוס was like a catalyst that caused them eventually to become Nazirim. Now, right now, that might sound a little abstract. We'll use a great example to illustrate how this works. Let's look at another halacha that's quite similar that will help us. Gerkotten. Let's say that there's a child who's going to convert to Judaism. So, the way that it works is the child is not old enough because he's underage to commit himself to Gerus. So, when he goes into the mikveh, it's, so to speak, with a base din considering the Gerus on his behalf. Or you have a child who joins the whole family, the whole family is converting, and he goes, and now it's like his father is making the decision on, on his behalf. So the halacha is, the halacha in both cases is, when this ger reaches the age of majority in Judaism, he or she now have the option to opt out. But if they hit bar mitzvah age, and a minute goes by, and they don't protest, that's it. It's a one-way ticket. They are now absolutely Jewish. There's no way out. Why? So let's understand the logic. Because if you think about it, if you're saying that the cotton was already a convert back then when he was put into the mikveh, then how is it possible that years later he could undo that? So he was Jewish then, at the age of three. Now at the age of 13, he changes his mind. What, he's now undoing his Jewishness? You're going to revert to being non-Jewish? Rather, you have to say, It must be that at the time he had his bris and he went into the mikveh as a child, it was an action related to conversion. But it hasn't seeped into his reality to turn him into somebody who has the full-blown holiness of a Jewish person until he's old enough to understand what that means. But if he hits that age and he does not protest, then that retroactively fills him with the status of holiness that belongs to Jewish people. And therefore he doesn't have to go to the mikveh again. And we don't have to draw a little bit of blood to validate his bris. That was all affected by the catalyst that happened right at the beginning when his father, or the Basin, did the motions, the, the acts associated with conversion. So the truth is that that, in a certain respect, is any ger in that short period between having his bris and going to the mikveh. Even though the person doing the bris says the bracha with Hashem's name over the bris, implying that he's going to be a ger using Hashem's name. And there's other brachas he says, well, still, until he goes to the mikveh, if the person has the bris and then changes his mind, he could undo the conversion where Hare Hugoi Kitamikarin is as non-Jewish as he was before. In fact, beyond that, Kipir Sharamban, if you have a look at what the Ramban says about it, it's quoted in the Taz. That's actually why we don't do the the, 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 the mikveh before the bris. We do the bris first, so that if he wants to say, Oh, I'm scared of the bris, and he wants to back out, he could back out. But if he had already been to the mikveh, no backing out. And so therefore, for that reason, there's a whole halachic discussion about what exactly the status is of the circumcision of a ger who is an adult. Now, all of that is relevant to us because what we're learning over here is that you can have something that occurs in a person's life that only translates into reality later on because of their own decision. But then that reality is retroactive. The ger was put into the mikveh as a child, decides at the age of 13 that yes, he wants to be Jewish or at least doesn't protest, now we know that from the time he was put into the mikveh, retroactively, he was 100% Jewish. A similar thing is going to apply to the Naziris of both Shmuel and Shimshon. What was the instruction that the Malach gave to 
Shimshon's mother. Don't touch his hair because he is a Nazir from birth. So that that couldn't change Shimshon into an individual who has innate holiness of a Nazir. All that instruction did is that it ensured he would now have to follow the protocols of a Nazir. Likewise, that no blade will touch her son's head. She was making a vow that she is going to ensure he follows the protocols reserved for a Nazir, but not a transformative experience that would actually classify him as a Nazir. Beyond that, even those protocols she couldn't absolutely enforce. Because Shmuel didn't make any oath. She, Chana, his mother, took a vow. That she'd invest effort. That he'd keep all the protocols for his life. Now when Shimshon grows up, Shmuel grows up. And they didn't protest and say, why did I have to live my whole life with this long hair, not having wine? But they just went ahead and continued with that kind of conduct. Like that Geru is now Jewish in retrospect. They, by not protesting, are now Nazirim personally in retrospect. But Shimshon, it's one way. For Shimshon, it only affects wine and haircuts. And for Shmuel, it affects all of the elements of being a Nazir. So it's not that they made a vow. Because a vow has to be verbalized. And if it's not verbalized, at the very least, you have to intend to buy into the vow that somebody else is making on your behalf. Just the fact that they continued with those protocols without protest. That was powerful enough to instill within them the status of Nazirus, not only from now on, but retroactively as well. Similar to what we said about a ger, who doesn't have to now go through a second bris or second filler in the mikveh. All the protocols that were enacted when he was small now come to fruition when he's old enough and doesn't protest. So now that we understand this principle, now we can start to drill down into Rabbi Nohiroi and Rabbi Yoisi about something that happened subsequently and what impact it may or may not have on what happened in the beginning. Let's first start with Rabbi Nohiroi's perspective about Shmuel and Shimshon being the same Nazir or not the same kind of Nazir. Rabbi Nohiroi was the one who taught us that we can derive the fact that Shmuel Anovi was a Nazir from the fact that Shimshon was a Nazir. And we said, but how could you do that? Because How could you do that if Shimshon was not a full Nazir and he didn't have all of the restrictions? And Shmuel did. Because Rabbi Nohiroi is not trying to explain to us, as some of them before she wanted to argue, just what the word Moira means, that it means a blade. It's a complete hyperlink from the one scenario to the other. With our principle, which is that you don't do half measures on a Gezer Shava. Because Rabbi Noiroi, Lomat Mishimshon, what did Rabbi Noiroi learn from Shimshon to Shmuel? Not about what kind of Nazir he is, but rather about how he became a Nazir. The fact that Shimshon did not protest and therefore continued to be a Nazir even once he was an adult, that he followed the, the protocols of Nazir. Here's the key. Rabbi Nohiroi says this isn't that now there was something new introduced. So, I should say it differently. It's no, no additional quantum of his obligation. That now there's new regulations. Because previously he was allowed to become Tommy Lemais. Now something, no. It's not that there are new things that would now be forbidden for him. That previously he wasn't allowed to be impure. And now he is. 
I'm sorry, other way around. Previously, he was allowed to become impure, and now he's not. Ella rather Rabbi Noiroi wants us to know Sheba Oisimin Yonim Shayo Mitsuve Bohem. It's the same protocols that he had been instructed by his mother, who was instructed by the Malach to do. And he had already followed those protocols. By him not protesting those protocols, those same protocols are upgraded in value. That now it's no longer just the protocols of a Nazir, but he actually now becomes a Nazir, and he becomes a Nazir retroactively. So there's two possibilities. The one is that when you become an adult, you take on greater responsibilities. That's not what's happening over here. Instead, the responsibilities you already carried now take on greater meaning. Says Rabbi Nohiroi, That's the Gezer Shava that I'm bringing to help us understand Shmuel. Not to teach us that he's the same kind of Nozir as Shimshon, but that he becomes a Nozir in the same way as Shimshon. The fact that Shmuel did not protest the various protocols his mother had imposed on him from birth, which were the result of her promise to Hashem, when he doesn't protest as an adult, that now translates all of those protocols from just being protocols to becoming the experience and the elevated spiritual status of a Nazir. So what's Rabbi Nohi Roy telling us? This is the fascinating part. What's Rabbi Nohiroi telling us? When you have something that only seems to ratify an existing protocol, it actually has greater effect than the start of the protocol. When Chana gets Shmuel to do all of these things, they actually don't mean anything. They're just regulations that he follows. When Shmuel later on, all he does is not protest, which sounds like nothing, it completely elevates that experience to now become a full-on Nazir. What happens later ratifies and uplifts and transforms what had been initiated earlier. Now, once that's the conversation about how something subsequent can upgrade something that precedes it, the Gemara says, let's bring another example. The Gemara give a whole explanation and so forth that will clarify what the Mishnah says. What's the what's the Explanation. Omele Rav Lechia Berei. Rav says to Chia Yisan, Chtoifu Berei. Quickly, bench. Vechein Omele Rav Hunele Rav Berei. Chtoifu Berei. Likewise. So I'm a Vorkwa Omele Machadish as a Brocha. The person who says the Brocha is the one who initiates the process. Vehoina Omein, Rachmaskim Lebrechosish and Omevorek. The person who says Omein is only ratifying what they've already said. Which is exactly the same as by the Nazir. Chana starts the process. And Shmuel ratifies the process. Same principle. You've got the, the catalyst and what consolidates it afterwards. So when it says that these great Amoyroim told their sons, quickly, be the one to bench. That would seem to imply that the person who begins the process is more valid, more valuable, more powerful than the person who ratifies it afterwards. Therefore, Mamshich Bigamora, the Gemora continues, Are you in fact telling me that the person who makes the bracha, who starts the process, is the ultimate? That you're suggesting the person who begins the spiritual process is greater than the person who consolidates it? Have we not already learned in a price? And it's not just Stammer Brysa, it's the same people, Rabbi Nohiroi and Rabbi Yoisi, with the same style of arguments. Meaning, the debate between Rabbi Nohiroi and uh, Rabbi Yoisi about how we get to understand if Shmuel was a Nazir or not. They're not just arguing about words. Does the word Moira mean a Nazir like Rabbi Noiroi wants to say, yes, Shmuel is a Nazir like Shimshon? Or does it mean Moira fear like Rabbi Yossi wants to say that it has nothing to do with Naziris? 
Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Noiroi are arguing in a logical, rational understanding of mitzvahs, which is exactly what our Gemara is talking about. Shittas Rabbi Yossi, he shaskom Rabbi Yossi says clearly that if somebody ratifies what's already been started, they add a layer to what has already started. In other words, means the process is already in place and you're just giving it more power. But Rabbi Yossi says that Amen could never upgrade the brocha. The, the decision a person makes later on in life cannot upgrade the process they've already been engaged with. It certainly can't take it to its fullest level. Therefore, as far as Rabbi Yossi is concerned, Therefore, Rabbi Yossi says, I get it. Shimshon could turn into a Nazir when he doesn't protest because Aleph, Shari Aleph, because the truth is that there was an instruction from the Malach about the behavior that Shimshon had to follow. So he's already been told to follow those protocols. And everybody agrees that even when he does not protest, Everybody agrees he's not 100% a Nazar. Because it wasn't a complete Nazar to begin with, and it's not a complete Nazar to end with. Because in Rabbi Yossi's mind, it is not possible that something which occurs later should not only ratify the existing, but upgrade it to another level. Not possible. Rabbi Yossi says the exact opposite. When a person acknowledges and agrees to a system, to a decision, that's something brand new that's happened now. Which could completely redefine the reality of what the person has agreed to. And cause this to now have a greater, more compelling reality than it had when it started. In fact, it could even make it complete where previously it was lacking. The Amen could pre- complete the Brocha. The acceptance of Shmuel or Shimshon to be a Nazir can complete the status of Nazir that the parent or the Malach couldn't give them. Therefore, according to Rabbi Nohiroi, Therefore, Shmuel became a full Nazir by not protesting. Despite the fact that there was nothing to obligate him to have to conduct himself in a particular way, it's only Chana who had a vow that she had to keep, but he didn't have a vow. Secondly, and even though we're going to say he's 100% Nazir, unlike Shimshon, because basically what we're seeing happen over here is that you could extract from the scenario or from his lack of protest a full ratification of the Nazirus that began before earlier in his life. And now you can see it very clearly and how they both share their shittas when it comes to saying Amen. Because what is Amen? Ratifying the bracha. So Rabbi Yossi says, look, the person who says Amen is definitely superior to the person who says the bracha. Why? Because he's saying, by acknowledging the bracha, it adds another layer to what was begun with the bracha. The bracha was great, and the Amen makes it greater. But it doesn't make the bracha a better bracha. The bracha was good, and the Amen is another layer of greatness. That Look, other people ratified it as well. But Rabbi Noiroi Noi says, no, 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 no. What the Amen does is, Hashomayim bishvokeinu. I swear to you, you don't understand how great it is what an Amen does. He says it in an expression that, that implies a, an, a, like he's taking it, like he's making a promise. I promise you this is how it is. Because he wants to say, you don't understand how great the impact of the Amen is. doesn't only add a layer of consent to the Brocha, it upgrades the Brocha. The Amen doesn't just make the Brocha one step better. 
It is a dover chadosh. It makes it a whole different class of bracha. Geder chadosh beyachas nemevarech. With regards to the person who said the bracha, his bracha and his experience of blessing Hashem is in a whole new level now. And to prove it, he says, I'll show you that this happens in the real world, so to speak. Look what happens. The, the weaker people are sent first to the battlefront. They're the ones who tease the other side to come into the fight. And then the real powerful guys come in and they win the war. In other words, What's the difference between the person who begins a process and the person who consolidates the process afterwards, who says Rabbi Noiro, it's like the difference between those people who are weak individuals and their job is just to get the battle started. Compared to the real qualified soldiers, the special forces who come in and clean the place up. So the so-called weak people would be similar to Chana's vow. It has weak impact on Shmuel because she can't enforce it. She can't insist that he has to do it. The person says the bracha cannot enforce it. Anybody else is going to ratify it. The concept, the, the, the goal, the objective is not complete. We haven't won the war. Because something could come up and prevent it from seeing the light of day. Like the young child who becomes a ger, who knows? And his bar mitzvah could turn around and say, no, thank you very much. And completely destroy it. But once somebody says, and therefore they endorse what was originally started. That's where the might lies. He's not only giving his vote of confidence for the brocha, she creates something which is brand new. It's like a victory. You, you've, you've won. You've broken through a barrier. The person who says Amen completely ratifies, consolidates, finishes the brocha. Like Shmuel, when he doesn't complain about being a Nazir, completely ratifies the fact that he was always a Nazir all along. With that in mind, and now we can understand why the Gemara goes from that to talk about how Tamid HaChachamim bring great peace to the world. Why does nobody ask the question? It should have said sages bring peace to the world. Students of sages. Why, why specifically? The difference between saying Chachamim, who sound like they're senior sages, and Talmidei Chachamim, who sound like they might be junior sages, is like this. Chachamim koi al baile Mishnah. Chachamim refers to those who are the masters of Mishnah. We've seen various places that Chachamim are dafka associated with teaching Mishnah. And obviously, are students. They're the ones who learn from the Bali Mishnah. And ironically, they're the ones who bring peace into the world even more than their teachers. Why? So, the reason for that is something the Gemara tells us Tanoim are people who cause chaos in the world. Why? Says the, the Gemara, because they take the Mishnah, which is succinct, and they teach halacha based on that. But they don't delve as the Gemara they describes into understanding the thorough meaning and reasoning behind the the Mishnah and, and therefore the laws associated. So sometimes they may compare things that should never be compared. From which they could actually render an Allahi decision that's wrong. As the Gemara uses based on the Apostolic, where's their lack of Shalom, a lack of peace? person who leaves the study of Talmud, which gives you the grounding and the insight and the depth of understanding a concept and goes to Mishnah. 
So now it turns out that the Sam Rablos and Rabbi Chanina is on exactly the same theme as what Rabbi Nohiroi wanted to say in response to Rabbi Yosi. Very much along the lines of trying to understand the nature of the Nazirus of Boshmul and Shimshon. And along the lines of the question about the power of the person who says Amen after Abrocha. We know for sure that Shimshon and Shmuel Anavi's paths towards Nazirus would never have started without the Malach being the catalyst in the case of Shmuel and Chana's Nader being the catalyst in the case of in the case of Shimshon and Chana in the case of Shmuel. But where did the action really take place? What did they contribute? When they agreed to continue down this path, as we've explained, it added not just a consolidation of their path, but it took it to a whole new level, gave it a whole new definition. And the same thing applied to Amen. There's no point saying Amen if nobody said a brocha. So the brocha is the catalyst. And saying Amen is technically only just acknowledging what the person said in their brocha. Yet, the person saying Amen achieves a caliber of brocha that even the person saying the brocha could not have achieved. Likewise, with the students of the Chachamim. Even though they're only the students. They need the sages to teach and they need the catalysts. They need those people who are the experts in Mishnah. Yet they're able to achieve beyond what the sages themselves can achieve. Because they land up being the ones who increase peace in the world. Whereas when you're dealing just in the world of those great sages alone, not only do they not land up increasing the peace in the world, they actually create chaos in the world. Fascinating, right? To be the one who initiates a process is beautiful, but it's very often the one who takes that process and consolidates it that has the true worth. So now to link what the Gemara spoke about with the Brochus and with Marbim Sholem to what the Mishnah spoke about, about the Nazirus of Shmuel and Shimshon, from a spiritual perspective, we'll understand by first looking at why is it there could have been theoretically many areas of Torah where we could have examined this principle, which says that the wrapping up of a concept elevates the concept to a whole new level. Why specifically in the context of Nazir? Why is that where we're introduced to this concept? So Yeshem Kama Agbolis Vesunum Shatera Tziv Salem The Torah has many laws, including many restrictive clauses. And what does a Nazir do? Adds further restrictions to his life that the Torah does not require. Yeshem HaMishchai Misad HaTorah Mipiatzmo. What's his intention? Let's bring more Kedusha. More Kedusha to myself. More Kedusha to the world. Okay, Chassidus explains, what do you mean more Kedusha? Chassidus explains that the objective of a Nazir is to draw into the created reality divine energy that is beyond the created reality. That's why it's when it comes to a Nazir that we emphasize we speak about the contribution, the amazing contribution of the recipient over the giver. The giver is the person who starts the process. Chana, the Malach, the person saying the Brocha, the Chachamim. And the theme is look at what we can add to that, not just add another detail or another layer, but a fundamental shift. And how that fundamental shift is way beyond the contribution of the giver, the teacher, the catalyst, the sage. Which is the point of the Amen compared to the person saying the Brocha. We know very well that the word Brocha means to bring down. So the Mevarech is the one who initiates the process of bringing down holy energy into this world. Because this person is bringing down from the higher realm into this world, 
It affects what we call the Yehudi law, very lofty dimension of connection and oneness with Hashem. And that plays out in which means that there'll be a divine revelation or awareness and that, gonna, that will switch the negative into positive. But you know, the person who responds, Amen, is a, exactly that, is responsive. Endorses the bracha. Which effectively represents that this lowly world acknowledges and endorses the flow that's coming from on high. The spiritual input. Yes, we accept it. That would be like unifying Hashem in the lower realm, creating a oneness between the lowest reality and Hashem, which is a far bigger achievement. To elevate from the bottom upwards. Which is represented by the concept of iskafia, how you overwhelm and subdue negative forces. Even though you would imagine such great lofty spiritual flow of energy must be greater than what we can just hackneyed put together with our little bit of iskafia and our Yehuda Tato. Nevertheless, guess what? It turns out that the person who says Amen is greater than the person who gives the brocha. Guess what? There is a massive advantage, an exponential leap that is achieved by the makabal, the receiver, the endorser, over the catalyst, the start of the initiator. Now, when we talk about this greatness represented by the person answering Amen, there's actually two realities. How we experience it now. In the world we live in now. Yes, of course, there's great advantage to refining the world, elevating the world, subduing the negative. But we're not yet where we need to be. So in our world today, if you could transform negative into positive, that would be far greater for us than being able to subdue the negative. But then there's a second experience that will be experienced when Mashiach comes. What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? That's the time where it will be revealed what the value is of human finite input. That's when the world will be fully refined, as the Pasuk says, Hashem will remove any spirit of impurity from the world. And then you'll get this amazing concept of where the negative is transformed into the positive, not because of input from Hashem, but because of us having overwhelmed the negative and turned it into positive. That's why the ultimate state of life is the neshama returning back into the human form and at that point, the neshama would be sustained by the body. And that really explains the debate between Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Noiroi. Rabbi Yosi, Bigamach Elikim, his name has the same Gemacha value as Elikim, which is Bigamach Ateva, the name of Hashem that represents the natural order. He says, you know what? Saying a bracha is amazing because it adds an endorsement. Sorry, saying amen is amazing because it adds an endorsement to the bracha. And likewise, Shimshon, when he doesn't protest about, against being a Nazir, so he adds another layer. Okay, now he's, he's like a little bit more of a Nazir. In other words, what Rabbi is saying is, He's saying there is for sure an advantage to the avoider that we do through our input over that which is shared with us from on high. And yet at the same time, Yossi links to the name Yosef, which is the Hebrew version, which is what Hashem adds to us, what Hashem gives us. So in other words, yes, we achieve, but the main thing is what Hashem gives us. That's Rabbi Yossi's perspective. Discusses the reality as it is now. That the effect of the human input, which is overwhelming the negative and, 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 and you know, creating a union with Hashem in the lowest realms, that, that cannot be way beyond what comes from on high. Like Shimshon is not a complete Nazir, can't really have an effect. Because Rabbi Yossi says the reality of our world today is that anything you get from on high is still better than what we produce on our own. Rabbi Yossi 
Interesting. It's not his Hebrew name. If it were a Hebrew name, it would represent the holiness and pristine reality of Torah as it flows down from an eye. It's a name that belongs to Aramaic, one of the names of the 70 nations of the, of the world, which represents something that was taken from the physical and elevated and transformed into having a holy Torah value. But guess what? At the same time, Rabbi Noiroi Pirushoi Oir. His name actually represents light. And still, He's not called Rabbi Meir, it's called Rabbi Noiroi. Not a Hebrew name. It's the name of the emergence of holiness from out of the world. Therefore, Rabbi Noiroi speaks in the context of the greatness of human input elevating the world from the bottom up as it will be experienced in the time of Mashiach. Because at that time will be clear that the one who answers Amen, the one who works through the world and elevates the world and battles through the world is far superior to that which comes flowing from on high. And that's the person who can conquer win the war. Because in that future time of Moshiach, it will be absolutely clear how we totally refine and elevate the world and the greatness of human input. When we'll take all the stuff that belongs to the rest of the world and transform and elevate it into a realm of holiness. To the extent that we'll actually reach a point that in the part of our world which is so lowly, you will see and experience the greatest revelation and light. The concept of transformation. Will be the ultimate state, the transformation of negative into positive, which was achieved through the slog work of us trying just to overcome the negative in our lives. Which creates chibur ichudi love ichuda tato, the ultimate union of the spiritual form of connection and oneness with Hashem, which is reserved for the higher realms, and the physical form of oneness with Hashem, which comes through our efforts, and they fuse together, which will happen in the time of Mashiach, and we'll see our greatness, our contribution, and how we have greater value than even the highest, most supreme spiritual entities. That will be revealed with the coming of Mashiach and Hashem now.